Lord, uh, we would be uh, remiss if we did not stop and ask you, um, even amidst uh, trusting that that our hearts are in the right place or uh, amidst what we have experienced in relationship with you during the week or amidst all of the study and preparation um, of uh, searching for your message for for harvest from this passage, Lord, we would be at a loss if we did not stop and ask you to change our hearts here this morning, to incline our hearts to you, to make it so that when we have opportunity, Lord, to hear your truth here and to to reshape our lives by it, that you would allow us to get everything that you have here, Father. Lord, in relationship with you, in relationship with your your Holy Spirit, we ask, Lord God, that you would fill us afresh, fill us anew, inspire us with your truth so that we can have more of you, Father, so that we can enjoy relationship with you, Lord, So that we can set aside the things that we might be trusting in, the things that we might be hoping in, and set our hope completely on you, completely on Jesus. Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The success that we are looking for in our relationship with God, the success that we are looking for as far as if I'm preaching a message or if you're preparing a small group lesson or if you are uh, sitting down with your children or your grandchildren and you're trying to sow truth into their lives, the success that you should be looking for is a changed heart. A change from the inside out. That's what we carry forward in this letter to Timothy from Paul in his introduction statement when he encourages and reminds him that the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Success comes from the inside out. John Wooden is quoted as having said, success comes from knowing that you did your best to become the best that you are capable of becoming. And it comes from the inside out. There's three components to athletic success. Outside of talent and natural ability and, and things like that, I'm sure there's other components, but, but three of these components could start with how the player nourishes themselves in their personal life. What food do they eat? But not just that, what, what self-talk do they have going on? What inspires them mentally? This is the, their foundation. It's what they invest and in who they are on the inside. Inspired, nourished by good things or not? Uh, A second component would be how well they practice to improve. The statement's been said, practice does not make perfect. Only perfect practice makes perfect. 
You know, Allen, Allen Iverson, some 15 years ago, if you might remember this player, for the 76ers, he, he was in trouble because he wouldn't go to practice. And he went on a rant talking about practice? Practice? What are you talking about? We're talking about practice? His coach, Larry Brown, only had to say one thing regarding Iverson's attitude. He said, in regard to Iverson's rant about this, he said he actually said practice more times than he actually practiced. Practicing to improve is that second component. The third component is, has to do with what degree of effort a person makes on game day. Many teams have, fr have flustered their coaches with their game day execution. You might remember uh, the 1976 NFL season of the abysmal, the first season of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Zero uh, and 14 was their record. And their coach, John McKay, was asked, what do you think of your team's execution? He says, I'm all for it. Well, Purdue, unfortunately, it came down to execution this week against a team called the Golden Gophers. Really, I mean, came down to a 75-73 loss. And it was about full game performance. And Matt Harms put it so when he said, they just outplayed us. But in some ways, they're thankful for the gut check of the Big Ten tournament as they come into the NCAA attorney to find out, you know, that they're still top-seeded this week. Um, sorry, IU fans. But same way, it is time for a gut check for us. That's where this passage brings us, to a gut check in our following Christ, of our believing the gospel. You see, a gut check is a test or assessment of courage, character, or determination. And the same three components of athletic success are seen in our passage here this morning. What do we nourish ourselves with? What and how do we practice to improve? in our following Christ, walking in relationship with God through Christ? And what effort do we make in following Christ when it comes down to that moment of choice? Maybe amidst trial or temptation or opportunity. We see how we nourish ourselves and how important that is in verse 6. As we read, if you put these things before the brothers, Paul speaking to Timothy, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. And we see the importance of what and how we should practice to improve in verses 7 through 8. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And we also see that third component in verses 9 through 10. And they touch on that quote-unquote game day effort we should make in following Christ. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of fullest acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive 
Because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. I had a friend in Rapid City, uh, American Legion baseball is a big thing out there, and, and, and he was American Legion baseball coach. And he, and he would explain to his players how you address that batter's box is going to define whether or not you're setting yourself up for success. And I want to challenge you this morning to examine how well you set yourself up for success in following Christ. And as, as servants of God, I challenge you to evaluate the ideas that nourish you. You see, the, these, these words are not just for pastors. They're not just for Timothy. As we talked about last week, the Apostle Paul is using the term good servant, which refers to any minister in the church. He uses the term diakonos, an everyday ministering Christ follower. And if you have the, the King James or the New American Standard, the New Revised, I'm sorry, The, the, the NRSV, there you go. The, the, the name uh, escapes me. Uh, it's, it doesn't use the term train. It talks about nourish. Being nourished in the words of the faith. So, so how does training relate to nourishing? When we're talking about preparation for athletic competition, which is the, the, the idea that Paul is hammering home here, when we're talking about that, training and nourishment are very much related. The servant of Christ needs to be nourishing himself or herself on the gospel. Not on, they, they, don't, they need to be nourishing themselves on the truth, not pseudo-truth. Remember we were talking about that last week? That, that describes the, the insincerity of liars. It uses the term pseudo-logos, the pseudo-message. Here it's talking about the logos of faith, the truth, the words of faith. I can, you know, when I, the, the only amount of coaching I've done in Crawfordsville was just Crawfordsville youth football. I never played or coached football before, but I knew when the kids got out of the car and they walked over like this and they came up to the, and they're kind of dragging their helmet to the game and they're talking about how, man, I was up till 3 a.m. playing video games last night. I'm like, okay, too many of these kids, walk, you know, walk over to the field like this and this is going to be a long game. Let me ask you, when you get to work, when you get to sitting down with those kids, when you crack open those homeschool books, are you ready to deal with the stress and opportunity? Have you been nourishing yourself with the gospel? Nourishing yourself with, as, as Jeff opened up and reminded us about, that, that I, Lord, can bring everything to you and I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to hide behind a screen and confess it to some priest because I'm fully accepted by you, Lord. Are you nourished with the truth? I was talking with a friend this week and, and um, we were talking about redwood trees. These huge trees uh, grow in northern California, 200 plus feet tall. 
And, and see, much of Northern California's moisture comes in the form of fog. And you wouldn't think that's a lot of moisture, but one researcher using a one meter square fog collector over a full day as the fog came in gathered up 10 gallons of water was his record in one day in that amount of collection space. And recent research shows that these trees actually get much of their water through foliar uptake. Their, their small, thin, blade-like leaves are actually absorbing water. But they're also doing something else. With being these blade-like leaves, as the temperature drops, the, le- the, the leaves drop in their temperature as well relatively quickly. And so what does that fog do, do? It condensates on those leaves. And even though there might not be a rain cloud in the sky, if you walk among these redwood trees, you've got to have a rain jacket on because it's raining under these redwoods. They're being nourished, and they're also nourishing the forest floor below them. And that's what we're called to do as a regular follower of Christ. Like that redwood process, as God's servant, you're called to nourish yourself on God's truth and to nourish others through God's truth, dripping from your lips, from your hands, from your feet, as the body of Christ. And like an athlete, do you walk out of your door ready to perform your best? in God's strength, in the power of the gospel. I read a quote from Richard Baxter this past week. He wrote about the importance of making effort in understanding and internalizing God's word. He said, and all, and all these works, I'm sorry, he asks, are these works to be done with a careless mind or a lazy hand? Oh, see then that this work be done with all your might. Study hard, for the well is deep and our brains are shallow. In the same way, I also challenge you, evaluate the effort you make. Evaluate the effort you make. Specifically, the effort in what it means to be godly. It says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths Rather, train yourself for godliness. These irreverent, uh, it, it can also be used to call them useless, silly myths. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. These myths, these useless, silly things are kind of akin to the pseudo-truth, the pseudo-logos that we looked at last week kind of close to the truth, you kind of, you know, some of you wake up, I don't know this specifically from anybody, but some of you wake up and rather than going to the truth, you go to a pseudo-truth in some form of a devotional. It might, there, there's some devotionals that are awesome. But if that's all you're getting from God's word, you might be just getting silly myths rather than the truth. Bobby Knight said the key is not the will to win. Everybody has that. 
It is the will to prepare to win that's important. This is where our passage gets into that idea of of success requires practice. And in contrast to something that's worthy of effort, something that is is, um, worthy of our efforts here, I'm sorry, in contrast to these silly myths, that's where we're at, In contrast to these silly, useless myths is something that's worthy of our efforts. To grow in godliness. Evaluate your efforts that you make to train in godliness. Philip Brooks said the great purpose of life is the shaping of character by truth. Godliness is the summary word that describes growth of character. Growth of who we are when no one is looking. And this term that he uses here, to train yourself in godliness, it'll sound familiar. It's, it's um, gymnazo. Gymnazo. You see, in all of these Greek cities, there was a gymnasium. And, and young men would go there and gymnazo themselves. They would train themselves. John MacArthur says every Greek city had its gymnasium, and Ephesus was no exception. Youths customarily spent much of their time from age 16 to 18 in physical training, and that was vital since life in those days involved much physical activity. There was a great emphasis on physical training and the glory of winning athletic events. Get to the gym and work on your godliness, he's saying. That's what he's telling us in verse 7. And it's present tense. It's to be a constant pursuit. We're told, don't slack off. Don't let, don't, don't let your buying into being uh, in your small group to become like the proverbial place where you hang your clothes. Right? That piece of Workout equipment at home. At first, you're all excited about it. And then it kind of wanes. Comes that place where you kind of drape stuff over it. Don't let your small group involvement or your lack of small group involvement be that way. Invest. You know, I remember a friend of mine in Rapid City. I asked him if he was a member of the Y. He said, I'm a donor. Right, meant he was paying for it, but he wasn't going. He wasn't getting what it was there for. Don't become a donor to harvest. Don't do that. Be involved in training for godliness. That's what we're to be about. That's the that's the goal of what we have to do. Love flowing from the heart. Seek accountability. Get that workout buddy if needed, right? And make it a constant priority to train for godliness. John Wooden had something to say about this. He said, be more concerned with your character than your reputation because your character is what you really are while your reputation is merely what others think of you. And more concerned with our character or with godliness is important, more important than developing earthly skills. 
And that's what we're told here. Evaluate the effort you make compared to earthly skills, compared to the time, compared to the attention, compared to the planning that you take to develop certain earthly skills. I, you know, maybe Ian, sorry to embarrass you here, Ian, maybe Ian and maybe Hannah with their dance are the only ones that are in danger of this athletically. I think the rest of us, you know, we're like, okay, I'm not, don't worry, I'm not investing in my athletic prowess more than, you know, my godliness. <laughs> but what other skills, what other interests might you be investing in? And the Apostle Paul is saying here, yeah, it's of some value, but do you realize how valuable your walk with Christ is? It's got eternal value. That's a value that can't be quantified. It's so big. Warren Wiersbe says, good godly character and conduct are far more important than golf trophies or home run records, though it is possible for a person to have both. We glorify God as we enter into those pursuits, having invested in what he wants to make us in our character. You see, we can do both. And we can have joy in the process by, by investing in what he wants to do in us through that. We can come to it with an eternal perspective. Tyler Trent was known as a Purdue superfan who succumbed to bone cancer this past fall. But he was given a national platform when he faced this terminal cancer and when the strength that his relationship with Christ supplied him, he met it with a physical vigor that no one expected him to have. At his funeral, players who pursued physical excellence at the highest level spoke of how they admired Tyler Trent. He understood that this earthly life has many distractions from what's eternal. One of his statements that, that, that resonated with me the most was when he said, nobody knows the amount of days that we have left. Some could say we're all in hospice to a certain degree. So why don't we act like it? Where's your gratitude? Why can't we live grateful lives? Why can't we make every day count like it's the last? I will tell you something. If we are not nourishing ourselves with God's word, if we are not giving intentionality and planning into how we are going to train ourselves for godliness, we will not accomplish those things. We will not be grateful. We will not make every day count like it's our last. How would you compare your pursuit of Christ to other ambitions? How would you say you do in living the grateful life that Tyler spoke of? How much does the, does the fruit of your efforts, how much are they going to go with you into eternity as well as having earthly value. That's what we're told here. They have earthly value and also into eternity as well. C.T. Studd said, only one life 
which will soon be passed. I'm sure you've heard this. Only what's done for Christ will last. So the next verses deal with our game day effort. And they challenge us to evaluate the depth of your hope. Or, or evaluate what it is that you're putting your hope in. He says the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. He, he's, he's, he's talking about the saying above, okay, in the, in the previous verse, that, that godliness has value for all things. And now he's talking about how that gets put into um, daily effort. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive. Because we have our hope set on the living God. Who is the savior of all people. Especially of those who believe. It's the trustworthiness. It's trust, it's the trustworthiness of the idea that we believe. That godliness is more important than anything to pursue. Is evidenced by the effort that we should make to move toward it. And the effort shows just how much our hope is set on Christ. Because, when he says, because we have our hope set, it's in the perfect tense. It means we have our hope, we have set our hope with the present result that it is an, a settled hope. It's kind of like burning the ships, right? We've gotten here. This is what we've set our hope on. There's no going back. And the object of our hope is to be the living God. Once again, just like we saw in the passage last week, this is in total contrast to this huge idol to Diana in this temple, one of the seven wonders of the world in Ephesus. But it's a dead statue. We have set our hope on the living God. First, evaluate the depth, of, the depth of your hope by the strain of your efforts. I'm not talking about efforts to get God to love you. That's not the gospel. I'm not talking about efforts to earn salvation. That's not the gospel. But Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 tells us, By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So after walking, initiating, beginning a relationship with God through Christ, in which we come to him by his grace, by Christ's work alone, then we have the opportunity to walk in godliness, to walk in the good works that he has laid out for us. That is the strain of our effort in that area that we should be looking at here, which the Apostle Paul describes himself as toiling and striving because of where he has put his hope. This term strive, it's agin. I screw this up. Agonizomai. Agonizomai. It's an athletic term speaking of the participation in the Greek games. We get our term agonize from it. 
Why would you push to the point of agonizing as you strive for God's kingdom? It's because you have set your hope on the living God. Why don't you agonize over following Christ closely and effectively? I'd ask, what have you set your hope on? Retirement? The stock market? Making that sale? Raising those good kids? Time with your grandkids? Is that what you agonize to get? To achieve? To get promoted? The lack of effort in following Christ is evidence of faulty beliefs. Putting our hope in something other than Christ. What does your effort look like when it's game time? When temptation comes knocking? You know what temptation is? Temptation is... is we, we are tempted more, and, and we all are, to the degree that we think that something else is going to bring satisfaction. That something else is going to bring life. That something else is going to be the answer. What does your effort look like when it's that game time? challenge you to evaluate the depth of your hope compared to Christ's position. We have set our hope, we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. The state religion of the Roman Empire was the cult of the Caesar. Understand their term Caesar was like president. Okay, so they had one after another that took the role of Caesar and and he would be worshipped. And that was the state religion of the Roman government, as we've talked about before. And the reigning emperor was known as the savior of the world. And it was because he preserved his people. He benefited his people. Remember that to be saved is, is, has a lot more meaning than just eternal salvation. It means to be delivered. It means to be restored. It means to be, to be provided for. <clears throat> and, and this verse is not saying that all people will be saved. Think of it this way, okay? There's the best road builder in the world. Okay, and he's built all the roads on this island, all right, and a, and a tropical storm is coming, and people get in their cars, and as the water is lapping and the storm surge is coming and all of that, they're like, I am so glad that our roads have been built by the best road builder on the island, but only some of them are on the road that's actually going to get off the island. All of them have a relationship with this road builder at that time, but only some of them get the full benefit of his work. And that's what's described here by this statement. The living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. 
especially of, uh, of us who, having received Christ as our Savior, we are going to get his deliverance, his provision, his protection on into eternity. Because we are on his road off of the island. We benefit fully from the fact that he is our savior. Jesus provides a whole lot of deliverance and preserving that people don't even notice. But those who trust in him for eternity get the full effect of who he is. This is what's meant by this statement. Yes, we're all God's children, but a person is either his estranged child or his reconciled child. Yes, God is the Savior of the world, but you're only going to experience the full and eternal ramifications of his salvation by trusting Christ as your Savior. Duke won the ACC championship last night. But that wasn't its big game. That gave them the championship, but its big game came on Friday night when they faced North Carolina. And they were in the danger, very big danger, of losing for the third time. But they upset North Carolina. They upset them by one point. And it required an absolute beast named Zion Williamson in his second game back from injury to put out 31 points and 11 rebounds in order for them to win by one game, by one point. North Carolina's coach Roy Williams had this to say. He said, the guy that's been hurt came back and put on his Superman jersey again, and it was incredible. It was a game, it was game time effort at its best, and every point was needed. What does your effort look like when it's game time? Where have you put your hope? Who do you believe he really is? We don't put on a Superman cape. The cape isn't ours. We trust in the true Superman who will be who he claims to be. And it's a pretty big claim. The Savior of the world. Let's bow our heads. Father, forgive me. Lord, I confess to you so many times. that I am not ready to serve you. That I am not set up to have joy through the trial. I'm not ready to rejoice in all things. I'm not ready to, to never have anxiety, Father. So often. Because I haven't set my hope on you. Because I haven't reminded myself of just what this life is about. Because I've been living at times like I think it's about me. Or my comfort or my agenda. My ambitions. Lord, I pray the same thing for myself as I pray for my friends here, Father.
that you would give us the joy of meeting the trials, the joy of meeting the temptations, the joy of even having the success and living it with you, living it for you, living it through you and your power and your indwelling Holy Spirit, Father. Lord, allow us to be serious in our planning. Allow us to be serious in our intentionality. Allow us to be serious in our nourishing ourselves in your truth, Father, and allow us, Father, to live by it. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.